And let's turn in our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 10, this morning. Sunday mornings, we're looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and we come to one glorious event or teaching after another, and, and, and so we do this morning in John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus is speaking here, uh, as you see in the red lettering, and uh, he begins by saying, most assuredly. Now this is, um, uh, I have the new King James, and I'm glad I have the new King James, but if there was one thing I wish they didn't change from the old King James, is the verily, verily. I just like that verily, verily. That gets your attention. Most assuredly isn't as strong to me. But enough about my problems. Verily, verily. I say to you, he who does not enter through the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And he's talking about false messiahs who came to Israel through the years. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my sheep. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, speaking of the Gentiles. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. And therefore there was a division again among the Jewish religious leaders because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I tell you, I never ever cease or grow tired, Lord, of telling you thanks for your word and to be able to do it together. Thank you for all that is bound up in this passage, all that is there, Lord, that we need in our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. 
And everything in your word, you say, is it goes forth, it won't return void, it'll accomplish its purposes, and that's what we want to have happen here today, Lord. Not to just listen to a sermon or listen to something, but, Lord, to have it change us today the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for that. We pray, Lord, for a sweet time of fellowship with you, communion with you through your word this morning. And we ask for that great blessing and that great favor to be upon all of the churches and places that your people are assembling in this city and all around this city today. Would you bless, Lord, and would you strengthen and would you enlarge the body of Christ in our little part of the world today in this first Sunday of November, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus declares himself to be the Good Shepherd. And I think that the imagery of Jesus as our shepherd is one of the most beautiful and one of the most comforting in all of the Bible. And that image of God, that image of Jesus as a shepherd to us is one that fills the entirety of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Maybe the most famous passage of all in the Old Testament is Psalm 23, where David writes of the Lord as his shepherd, and he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of my favorites is Psalm 100, verse 3, where it declares, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. And here it is. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. In the New Testament, the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 declares this, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I think to myself, why is the image of the Lord as our shepherd such a comforting thought? Why is it a, a, a thought and an imagery that is such a blessing uh, to us, warms our hearts in this kind of a way? And the reason that we're blessed to consider him as our shepherd is because we're sheep. And sheep recognize that they are greatly in need of not just a shepherd, but in need of a good shepherd. Sheep are an interesting animal in the animal world. One of the characteristics of them is they're not the smartest animal in the world. Uh, they're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Now, when I was uh, in high school, 
One of the summer jobs that I had was I used to run the rabbit and poultry building at the Napa Town and Country Fair. (laughs) I don't have a lot to brag about, and so I have to bring this up every once in a while. I go back to the Napa Fair, you know, every second or third year is when I'm able to be there or something like that, and, well, it's nothing like what it used to be so many years ago, and uh, uh, for reasons apart from me. But I, I came to know a little bit about rabbits and a little bit about poultry, and then right outside of that building, of course, was the 4-H side of things. And as a city boy, we had a dog that bit every human being that came near it, but we didn't have enough, nobody sued people back in those days, they should have, anyway, boy, am I getting off track here today, um, little junior, hmm. ah. but, but they, had, they had the 4-H had their things and, and where they would bring in all of the sheep and the cattle and all and they would be auctioned off and I would look through them, it was my chance annually to look at animals up close like that. And uh, I look at the sheep, and I don't know how many of you have ever looked a sheep in the eye. It, but it's quite an experience. It's just, you look them right in the eye, and it's like, hello, anybody home in there? Is there any, I mean, the, it's about the deadest look from an animal. that you, Nothing like a dog. It's the deadest, deadest look coming out of, out of their eye. At least all the sheep that I... I ever ever saw. We sometimes we think when God likens us to you know sheep in the scriptures that it's some kind of a, a compliment uh, because we see we see the little cute little things you know little tie our little sheep and he he loves to put us over his shoulders and walk you know do that shepherd deal with us and the the whole thing. But but the fact of the matter is they are cute when they're very very small and uh, and all. But he's not really. You know, speaking of us as sheep is, is a reminder of how cute he thinks that we are, however we view sheep or that, that kind of a thing. The fact of the matter is they're really not very smart. And in fact, they are uh, uniquely and badly in need of a shepherd. And uh, a human being is just as much in need of God is their shepherd. Sheep are, without a shepherd, sheep are absolutely defenseless in the face of predators. Uh, dogs can, uh, are smart. They know what to do in the face of danger. Birds can fly. Lions have fangs. They have uh, claws. Uh, you have all these different kind of animals that have some kind of an asset to them in the face of, of danger, things that uh, sheep don't have at all. Without a shepherd, a sheep out in the wild is just a meal on four hooves. It's just a matter of what predator is going to get to them first. Sheep are also very prone to wander, and uh, as are our people. They're, and they'll wander for no good reason at all. And they're constantly putting themselves in danger for no good reason at all. They will wander away from the flock and walk right off a cliff. How many of you have ever walked off a cliff? I mean, not literally, but some decision in life. Wandered away and somebody picked your pieces up afterwards. If they go around a little knoll or they get on the other side of some greenery or some brush, if they lose sight of the flock, they might as well be 3,000 miles away. They do not know how 
to get themselves back to the flock. No ability in them. If they can't hear it and they can't, they can't see it. And, and so it, it, they're a very, very high-maintenance animal. They cannot just take care of themselves. And I, I would contend, I'll, I'll, I'll confess for myself, you'll have to confess on your own. I, would, I will say that I am a very high-maintenance project for the Lord. And I'm glad that he is, he's my shepherd. It's said that the sheep require more care and attention in the wild than any other class of livestock. And so a sheep is only as safe, only as secure, only as blessed as his shepherd is good. Whatever he may lack, or that, that sheep may lack, naturally it can be overcome if they have the right shepherd. But they've got to have a good shepherd or they have no, no future. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus not only declares himself to be the good shepherd, I'd be happy if that's all he did. I am the good shepherd, and chapter 10 was much shorter than it was, if that's all that God wanted us to know. But what he does in this passage is he declares himself to be the good shepherd, and then he tells us why he is a good shepherd. And it's a wonderful thing and a wonderful list of things to go through as a Christian who is a member of his flock to have the realization of what he does and who he is in our lives on a daily basis. But also for the person that sits in this room today that has not yet made Jesus their Savior, not yet made him your shepherd, for you to realize what it is that he wants to be and is willing to be in your life. Because you are not shepherdless. Everyone follows a shepherd in this world. The question is, are they good shepherds or are they bad shepherds? Everyone follows a shepherd. Everyone gets up in the morning and has their first thought go somewhere. It can be a person, it can be sin, it can be my uh, selfishness, it can be some philosophy, it can be some philosopher, it can be some man, it can be some woman, it can be something. There is something that we follow in life. And in following this thing in life, we have to be on a path to do it. And Jesus is saying that he is the only good shepherd in this world that puts us in the light of our unique needs as human beings on a path that is good and safe in the course of the path and the only path that leads to where you want to be on the other side of this life, that leads uh, into heaven. So the marks of a good shepherd... Number one in verses one and two, Jesus is the good shepherd because he entered the sheepfold by the door. Now, a sheepfold in those days was just a four-walled kind of pen. Uh, it could be made up of rocks, you know, piled up to a, a certain uh, height, higher than the sheep could get out or thieves could get in. They could use poles or stakes or something wood in order to build kind of a, a rough sheep pen. But it would be completely enclosed on, on three sides and then completely enclosed on the fourth side except for a narrow doorway that the sheep would get in and out. In a sheepfold there was only one entrance and, and only one uh, exit. And at night 
the shepherds would bring their flocks to the sheepfold and they would enter them into the sheepfold. And it was very, very uh, usual for there to be several flocks within a sheepfold each night belonging to several different uh, shepherds. And so for the purpose of protection at night, uh, at nighttime was when uh, sheep were most vulnerable in the dark to being uh, eaten by a predator or being uh, stolen by a thief, so they would be introduced into that sheepfold. The sheep of the sheepfold here in verses 1 and 2 represents the nation of Israel. And the doorway to that sheepfold, and what does a doorway represent, period? A doorway represents an accepted means of access. There's only one way I ever want to see you coming into my house. And that's true, a door that I open to you at the front door. If you come through a window or some other unacceptable way, there might be some harm related to that. So the door, even today, it's an acceptable way to enter into a particular structure. And the point that Jesus is making here is that he entered into the nation of Israel as their shepherd by coming through the front door. That is, by uh, coming according to all of the Old Testament prophecies that were given describing the Messiah and how the Messiah would make his entrance into human history and how he would then make his entrance into the history of the Jewish nation itself. And God had given quite a detailed description of the door that the Messiah would come through in order to introduce himself into the nation of Israel. The Old Testament Scripture declared that when the Messiah came, he would come through the doorway of Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, that he would be born of a virgin, uh, uh, Moses, Isaiah spoke of that, that he would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses spoke of that, that he would be divine, that he would be the Son of God. Isaiah spoke repeatedly of that, and so forth. So when Jesus came to the nation of Israel and claimed to be their Messiah, he didn't mess around. He didn't come through some kind of a side window or some back door or some kind of sneaky way. He came through the front door. He came through the appointed way exactly as the Scriptures had declared the Messiah would enter into human and Jewish history. Now, number two, he's the good shepherd because to him the doorkeeper opens, we're told in verse 3. Now, the doorkeeper was an under-shepherd. He was kind of like a right-hand man to the shepherd. He didn't own the sheep, but he was kind of a, a servant to, uh, to the sheep owner. So at night, the shepherd would bring his flock, introduce that flock into the sheepfold. He would then leave his under-shepherd there to make sure that none of the sheep got out the doorway during the night. When the shepherd would return in the morning, that, uh, that, that man would then release his sheep to him. And, and so that's what a doorkeeper was. Now the doorkeeper refers to John the Baptist, who recognized that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and he opened up the door 
of the Jewish nation to Jesus by declaring of Jesus to his disciples and to the whole Jewish world, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John the Baptist spoke that to his disciples and to the Jewish nation of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he was a doorkeeper and then declaring to them, This is the Messiah you've been waiting for. This is the shepherd that you've been waiting for, that the Scriptures have have promised uh, to you. And so he further testified of Jesus there in John chapter 1. And I, John said, have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. It is because of the fact that Jesus perfectly matched the Old Testament prophetic description of the Messiah that the doorkeeper... John the Baptist, on behalf of all of the Old Testament prophets, opened up the door of the nation of Israel to Jesus and gave him access to the nation as his Messiah, as their Messiah. Do you realize John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets? You think about how great the prophets were. Think about Isaiah. Think about Jeremiah. Think about Ezekiel. Think about Hosea. Think about Malachi. I mean, these great, great prophets of the Old Testament. And the great things that they spoke of concerning this Messiah who was to come, I'm convinced every one of them would have traded their ministry in for John the Baptist's ministry. To be able to stand face to face in living flesh right next to the Messiah as the doorkeeper and to say concerning him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then give that Messiah, give Jesus the access to the flock that he had come to save. And so along with this long line of Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist had stood as a doorkeeper over Israel, protecting them until the coming of the Messiah. And as Jesus' sheep, whether Jew or Gentile, we can rest in the fact that our shepherd is uniquely qualified for the position of shepherd. He has the full endorsement of heaven, He has the full endorsement of the Old Testament scriptures themselves. Jesus has, as a shepherd, credentials that are peerless. He has credentials for being a person's shepherd that no one else possesses, can possess, has possessed, will ever possess. Now, that's quite an endorsement. To have the endorsement of heaven, to have the endorsement of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, when I was a kid, I don't know, does good housekeeping do a a seal of of approval anymore? Long gone. They do, but nobody cares about it anymore. They do? Dana, did you say they do? Somebody say it right here? They do. All right. Now, I don't run into it, but when I was a kid on television, the commercials, if you had the good housekeeping seal of approval... I mean, that was the gatekeeper, the doorkeeper, moving out of the way. And, I mean, now that was a run and get this product. And so, in the same way, very terrible illustration. But in, in the same way, here he is. I mean, the endorsement that he has 
from the Scriptures. Number three, as the good shepherd, the sheep hear his voice. Verse three. And the imagery again is that the shepherd would come to the sheepfold in the morning and uh, he would then call out to his sheep and uh, as he would call out to his sheep to follow him that, that day, the sheep would then leave that, that um, entryway and, and go after their master. It's fascinating that sheep are interesting. One of the things that they can do right is they learn to recognize the voice of their shepherd. Multiple flocks all mixed together inside of, of that sheepfold, and yet when the shepherd comes and he calls his sheep, they recognize his voice, and only that flock will come out and follow that shepherd. The rest of the sheep will wait until they hear the voice of, of their uh, shepherd. And, and so they hear the voice, they rise up, and they begin to follow him out into the day. And of course, a beautiful picture of what the, the Lord does for us. How, I think about how rich I am as a Christian to be able to wake up in the morning and have my first thought go to the Lord is my shepherd. And to be able to hear his voice as, I, as he calls me and as I meet with him in his word and as I meet with him in prayer to hear his voice speaking to me, for me to freshly commit, yes, you're my shepherd, yes, you're my God, and I'm committing now to follow you wherever it is that you want to take me today in this, this big, you know, big wide world that we, that we live in. And to hear his voice at the beginning of the day. Damien, come on, let's go. Here we go. Got a day for you. <laughs> Boy, you're going to need me today. Huh. Okay, we head out into it. And in some form or another, that happens in each of our lives. I think what a miserable existence life would be if I didn't get to hear his voice first thing in the morning. Just going to head out there cold turkey. No voice, no shepherd, no anything. If I didn't have the Holy Spirit's reminder that I belong to him and that he is my shepherd and that this is another day that I have to walk with him, to follow him, and see what he has in mind for me. Now, these are the things that make us rich, way beyond assets and liabilities. To start a day with that, that kind of meaning, that kind of intimacy with God, to hear him call us, to say, yep, I'm going to walk with you again today. You know, I woke up this morning and I didn't have to walk with God. You didn't have to walk with God. Every single day we make a choice whether this day is going to be God's day in our life or it's going to be my day or somebody else's day. And what a blessing it is to be able to start a day and say, yep, it's yours, I'm following you there. That's a better, I don't care how, how, how good the coffee is you drink, this is an even better way to start the day. Number four, as the good shepherd, he calls his sheep by name. In those days, and even today, shepherds would give their uh, each sheep in their flock a name. Now, they didn't have like corporate, uh, you know, things like we have in the United States where we do everything by the thousands and the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands. So they had smaller kind of flocks. And they would know their sheep and they, and they would give them names. So Joe Bacicalupi and Alex and Irma and different... No, they'd call them something about their characteristics. So, you know, black ears or brown leg or brown right rear leg and white right front. You know, if you've got a flock of a hundred, you've got to do some things. 
So, but they would mostly offer some kind of characteristic or some quirk of the animal. They, they would give it a name. And interestingly, the sheep learns what its, its name is. And I think it's wonderful to realize that he knows our name. Right now this morning, he knows your name. Sometimes we can, we're a Christian and we know we're a part of the body of Christ. We know we're a part of this big flock. We know we're a part of this great, big, wonderful thing, you know, called the family of God. And, but does he, does he get as mixed up with names as I do? But the fact of the matter is he knows every single one of our names. We're not just a part of some, you know, anonymous, big, gigantic mass of, you know, humanity that he doesn't know individually and he doesn't know intimately. He knows us individually. And he knows us uh, intimately and personally. And that tells me, what is, is, he, is he knows us by name, that he has a current living knowledge of each of our lives. Now, if you sit here and you're you know, sitting in a great point in time in your life, everything's going your way. Listen, I don't enjoy that. I enjoy every minute of that. But if you sit here today and you're in the middle of something where the waves are throwing you all over the place and you wonder, does God even know that I exist? And the ebb and flow of life and it looks like your anchor's broken and you're at the mercy of every kind of thing that people or circumstances are doing to you at, at the moment, then that's the time where it becomes very precious for us to realize he hasn't lost sight of me. Sometimes I can stop and say, uh, anybody know I'm here? <laughs> Anybody see what I'm in the middle of at the moment? Because I'm absolutely convinced that if you saw what I was in the middle of at the moment, you would have me out of here in a moment. Thank you. But he knows. The Bible says concerning Jesus of every single one of us as Christians is that his knowledge of us is so intimate and it is so current that he's praying for us right now that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for you right now in this room, that whatever this block of time is, whatever this service is about, in terms of what he's wanting to have happen in your life and my life, he's interceding about that for us right now. That's the intimacy of his, his knowledge of us. Do you realize that as a Christian this morning, our names are written in the most important book imaginable, the book of life. I like to see my name in print. Listen, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've I got a long way to go before I'm like Christ. The only thing I like better than seeing my name in print is to see if they got Damien spelled right. Let's always do I-E-N. They're all Herman Hess writers or whatever, uh, readers, and they get it, it's I-A-N. So just remember that. So... But I, I, we, we love to see our name. But there is a book of life that exists in the universe today. And as a Christian, my name and your name is written in that book of life. John, when he, he wrote, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth that's going to follow this one, the Apostle John, he said, But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles it, or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Not only does Jesus know our name, but he has personally written our name in his book of life. And I just like the fact that he knows my name. I remember about 25 years ago, it's a brand new, pretty brand new Christian. I was leading a home fellowship in Fairfield, California. There was somewhere, you know, 10, 12, 15 people coming out to that home fellowship. And uh, we had a woman that was a worship leader, very nice sister in the Lord. And, and, um, and she, she had heard, either had written a new song or she had, just, she had heard it at her old church or something and it really ministered to her. And she felt like she was supposed to do it as a part of worship on, on that, uh, that home fellowship. And basically the song that she sang came out of Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1. And here's what it declares. For now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, and here it is, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And she asked permission to take and use the first name of each person that was sitting in that room and then to sing that song to them. Like, you know, it was David, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called you by your name and you are mine and so and then, and then she would move right around the room and do that thing now in general I hate that kind of stuff it's like don't do something to me in a place like this I'm, I'm looking for an exit like you can't believe out of the room so uncomfortable but on that night God was with us he, he just he was just on that thing, and the Lord really ministered to us. And to this day, sometimes when I need to be reminded of the fact that He knows my name in the middle of, kind of hard to hear His voice, in the middle of what I'm in the middle of right at the moment, He'll remind me of that song and, and, and sing it again inside of, of my heart. And, and it's been a valuable thing through the years. So, in fact, let's just have the worship team come up right now. We'll start right here and make our way through. Boy, none of us would vote on Thursday. We'd all still be here, wouldn't we? But we'd feel good. Number five, verses three and four. As the good shepherd, he leads them out. In other words, we never go anywhere as we follow Jesus. We never set, not for one minute do we, does our foot step in a place that he hasn't been there before us and prepared the way for us. And again, you get into those kind of situations where the thing is, and sometimes you think, well, I'm going to follow my shepherd, I'm going to follow Jesus, and it's always going to be easy, and it's always going to be, you know, uh, cotton candy and caramel corn and lazy boy chairs and, and stuff like that. It's going to be always wonderful or whatever. And it isn't, because sometimes he can lead us into some really hard things. But as we find ourselves in the middle of those hard circumstances, it's important for us to remember when the Lord has led us to that place, to remember he got here before I got here. And he has prepared this place for me. And somehow, as nasty as it is, as difficult as it is, he will use his strong, sovereign, powerful right arm to overrule this for my good 
as, as one of his sheep and to have that kind of confidence in the middle of things. He never makes a mistake. Now, it looks like a mistake on the short term. Looks like he didn't know what he, he was doing. Looks like we got out ahead of him. But he never makes a bad decision, this shepherd that we have. Never gets on the wrong path. I've never heard, I've never prayed to him and had him respond with oops. I've never had him ask me for directions. I've never had him ask me what I thought. I've never had him ask me to counsel him. How disheartening would that be? He's always perfect. Always wise in, in his decision making. Never makes a wrong turn. He's never surprised by anything. And all I have to do is, is this sheep with whatever IQ I have or whatever you know grade point average or SAT scores. All I've got to do is just get up and follow him. And that's as complicated as life gets for us. And to know him is to know how perfectly wise He is and how perfectly loving He is in His decision-making. And then to follow Him out into that wisdom and out into that love. I think that it's wonderful to realize that I never go anywhere except that He is with me, He has gone before me, and He has prepared it for me. And to know that that's true, not just of this life, but that he will do that and he will be that if and when I pass from this life into the life to come. Again, Jesus, as he spoke to the disciples on the night before his crucifixion, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's gone out ahead of us, hasn't he? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a prepared place. But not just heaven is a prepared place. Our days, our hours, our lives are prepared places as we followed him. Number six in verses four and five, and we'll take some gigantic leaps through here. So if some of you are thinking, man, is he going to go till six o'clock? I'm not above it, but I won't do it this morning. Number six, he also declares that his sheep know his voice. So earlier we saw that the sheep hear his voice, but here Jesus tells us that his sheep know his voice. Again, it is the shepherd coming to the flock in the morning, calling for them, and a sheep will not follow a stranger or a strange shepherd because they don't know the voice. And so for us as Christians, I mean, there's so many voices out there in the world. One of the great things about walking with the Lord and learning the Word of God is that we learn his voice, and then we learn... What is a stranger's voice was another shepherd's voice. I can't tell you how many times through the years someone has come up to me and said, you know, I was listening to such and such on the radio or I was watching such and such on 
Christian television. And, and, or I, you know, somebody gave me this teaching tape from this teacher or something like this. And, you know, I was listening to what they had to say, and then what they said was this. And, you know, it just, I just never sat right. I, ju- I just I couldn't let it have free reign in my mind. I couldn't let it go down into my spirit. It 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 didn't sound like Jesus. It didn't sound what like what I know Jesus to be or Jesus to say. And it's always a beautiful thing when that happens because it's an indication that here I am. I am a part of. Jesus' flock, I'm familiar with His voice, but I realize there are other shepherds out in life, they're on other paths, they want to draw me on those paths, but it is a different path than the path Jesus wants me to be on. And so, His, his sheep look at, and, and we know His voice, and it's a wonderful protection in our life, and He produces it within us. Number 7 in verse 9 He's the good shepherd because he's the door of the sheepfold. Again, a door was an accepted means of entrance into the sheepfold. And the entrance that he's talking about here is the entrance. He is the entrance into salvation. He is the door. He is the way in which to enter into salvation. Now, in those days, they, they didn't have a door on those, on those sheepfolds because the shepherd would be the door. He'd get all the sheep inside there, and then the shepherd would lay across the doorway. So no sheep could get out without trampling him and waking him up. And no predator could get in or thief could get in without waking him up also. So the, sheep, the, the shepherd was always the door of, of the sheepfold. And, and, so, and, and you could not enter into that sheepfold except through the door or through the shepherd. And in the same way, no one can become a Christian or become a part of God's flock without coming through Jesus. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2. He said, for through him, that is Jesus, we have access. That's a door word. We have access by one spirit to the Father. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And Peter preaching in Acts chapter 4, he said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. Sometimes people have a problem with what they consider to be the narrowness of Christianity in terms of salvation. That it is one way, one way only, through faith in Christ. What do you do if that happens to be the truth? What's God going to do with that? Give us ten ways because we want ten ways and 90% will miss it because they grab the nine wrong ways? There's one way because there's only one way. But no one is excluded. Anyone can come into the flock by putting their faith in Jesus. I don't know about anybody else in the room. I don't know about how anybody else came to know the Lord. But by the time I came to the Lord and gave my life to Him, I was so unimpressed with myself at that point in time, my knowledge, my wisdom, my what, I had the battle scars to prove it. By the time I came to the Lord, I wasn't going to fight with Him over one way or three ways or ten ways. I was just thankful there was a way. 
and thankful that he would take on someone like me and make him a part of his flock. And I think that that is kind of a more humble and suitable response to God's offer of salvation. Number eight, he's the good shepherd because having saved us, having blessed us with a future eternity in heaven, in the meantime, while we're still here in the here and now, he leads us, verses 9 and 10, out into the most abundant life a person can possibly know. In verse 9, this shepherd of ours promises to provide us with pasture. He's going to provide our physical needs. Physical needs of food, clothing, and shelter. And we can begin to doubt that. Isn't it funny how I can... In the United States of America, we have so much affluence that I can literally, we can literally eat ourselves to any weight we choose. And yet, hard times come and we wonder whether He'll feed us today. When we've been more than fed up to this point. Jesus takes it as a reflection on Himself as our shepherd. He takes it very seriously to make sure that the members of His flock are properly fed and clothed and housed. We will be that because He is our shepherd. I'm not talking about a fifth wheel on top of the house and the condo and the ski resort in Aspen. Talking about the needs in life. He blesses us, we're told, with an abundant life. And abundant is the word for it there in verse 10. The Christian life is the most satisfying, rich, full life imaginable. Physically, He supplies our needs. But think about what this life is to us mentally. Because of Christ, we have the privilege of setting our minds on the greatest truths that exist in the world today, the noblest themes that have ever existed in human history. Now, I don't know how God made you, but I am almost as thankful for that is my daily bread. Because i got a noggin right here. And i got a brain that works all the time. Every second I'm awake, it is working. All the time. And what a blessing it is for us as Christians. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't able to park this noggin of mine in a safe place. If I wasn't able to park it in His truth, in His themes, in His Word. I don't know where you'd have to put me at this point in time in my life after having known Christ for a number of years and lived without Christ for too many years. If you took Him away just on the basis of I do not have His Word, His truth, His safe place to park my mind on a daily basis and i got to go back out into that world and park it in that smorgasbord of things that are offered to me. Not going to be good for me. 
I consider myself rich way beyond any kind of 401ks or any kind of retirement plan or savings or what I own or I don't own simply on the basis of that. How rich He makes us in terms of where we can plant our mind. And then what of our hearts? To have someone in this life that when my heart is full of joy and full of thanksgiving and appreciation for what He's done, I can express this heart. And a heart needs to be expressed. I can express this heart to the Lord. Or if I'm overwhelmed as David even found himself as a child of God, and as every child of God will find themselves in at one time or another, to be able to pour my heart out to Him, say everything that is on my heart, and know it's not going to end up on YouTube somewhere. Or on a blog someplace. He keeps confidences in our conversations. He's a safe place to pour our heart out to. Then you add how rich He has made us in bringing us into God's family, giving us the ability to know God as our Father, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What dollar amount do you put on that? The quality of life that comes out of that, what this shepherd brings into our lives. It's an abundant life. And it is abundant, calling it abundant is to, is to speak in a conservative uh, way. Then number nine, he is the good shepherd because, verse 11, he gives his life for the sheep. Verse 15, the same thing is communicated. He lays his life down for the sheep. For a shepherd, to lay his life down for a sheep was an awesome thing to watch. David spoke about it in his own experience as a shepherd, where he came to Saul when Saul wanted him to wear his armor and all this kind of stuff to go out against Goliath. And he talked about protecting the flock from bear, protecting him from a lion with his own hands and a staff and these kinds of things. And that's the place that a shepherd found himself in very, very often, that kind of place, where he is the one thing between this animal that will destroy this flock if it can get through me. And it was the ultimate expression of the love and care of a shepherd for a sheep to give his life for a sheep. Why? Because you have the greater, inexplicably, dying for the lesser. You have more than a dollar waiting on a dime. And that's what Christ has done for us in dying on the cross. Someone infinitely greater than the greatest sheep dying on that cross for that, for that sheep. For me as a, as a pastor, I can get tongue-tied, I can get a blank in my mind, I can have a lot of things happen in trying to communicate God's truth. But there is no single place in my attempt to serve the Lord that I am at a greater loss for words and feel more feeble in my ability to express something than trying to express the love of God for us. 
to express the love of Christ for us. When we partake of the Lord's Supper on the second Sunday night of each month, and I look at those symbols of his body and of his blood, who has the vocabulary for that? Who has the eloquence for that? Who can even begin to scratch the surface of the one who demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly? And so I say what I say with the heart prayer, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you're going to have to give this appropriate life in our hearts as your people tonight. The love of Christ, of this shepherd. But not, Jesus isn't just someone who could write love songs or talk about love. He demonstrated his love toward us. As a shepherd dying to protect us from the consequences of our sin on that cross at Calvary. And I think it's wonderful to sit and meditate upon the greatness of of Jesus' love for us. Because that's about the only way you can scratch the surfaces for the Spirit to do it. The love of God for us is true. And Jesus, speaking there in verse 18, said, No one took his life, but he laid it down of his own accord so that you and I could personally be saved today and become a part of his flock. Nobody took Jesus' life. Peter's swinging that sword in the Garden of Gethsemane on the day that Jesus was crucified. And he, all he did is he took the ear off of a servant boy. He was in danger with a sword in his hand. And Jesus said, listen, put that away, Peter. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He said, don't you realize I could call 12 legions of angels right now to get me out of this if this was about getting out of this. But he said, how would the scriptures be fulfilled if I didn't come and die for man's sin? Pilate was talking to Jesus later in that same day. Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus said, you could have no power against me at all unless it were given you from Above, Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Notice in verse 18, when we read of Jesus declaring, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. It's interesting to hear him say, I have the power to lay it down. We understand the miracle that was required in Jesus raising himself from the dead, but the accomplishment of his death was just as great a miracle. Do you realize that if Jesus had not given up his spirit on that cross 2,000 years ago, you could go to Jerusalem today and still see him hanging on that cross? No man took his life. No collection or combination of Jew and Gentile took his life. The only reason he died on that day is he gave up his spirit in order to die. Because he willed it. Then finally, number 10 in verse 18, he not only gave his life for the flock, but he had the power also to take that life up again, speaking of his resurrection. We need a shepherd who loves us enough 
to die for us, to provide us with salvation. But we need more than that in a shepherd. We need a shepherd who has conquered death and defeated death and done it in a way that was demonstrated. And Jesus has done that. And his resurrection testifies to his power and his authority over death. As a Christian, nothing can cut us off from our shepherd, not even death. Again, David wrote in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet of God will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death, Where is your sting, O Hades? Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't appreciate as his sheep of his his pasture and his flock today, his victory over death, because life is good and things are moving on and we're young and we're buff and all those great things. Listen, I don't begrudge you of it. But one day, every single one of us will be thankful that our shepherd has conquered death and we would agree he could not be a good shepherd if he did not conquer death. And only he has. Because only he is the good shepherd. He is not a good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the singular good shepherd. That's our shepherd. It's a crazy old world we live in. And as children of God, we need to remember we are not in this world without a shepherd. And we don't have just any old shepherd. That's the shepherd from his own lips who is looking out for us. That shepherd, this is the shepherd that Jesus is to us. The beautiful thing is, is that Jesus wants to be this shepherd to every single person in the world. Again, everyone has a shepherd. You have a shepherd. It's what you rise up in the morning for. It's what you focus on. It's where your time goes. It's where your money goes. It's where your resources go. It's, it's you follow something. It will fail you one day. Only this shepherd will not fail you. And he longs to become that in your life, to become your shepherd and bring all of this into your life today. The beautiful thing about it is that he'll take anyone into his flock. I'm proof of that. But he brought Jew and Gentile alike. There's no one he won't turn away to become a part of his flock. And there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after our service. 
They're going to have a badge on that says prayer. So you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you today to confess your sin to God and your need for his forgiveness and to turn from your old ways and to put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins and to begin a personal relationship with God today. And you can go to Costco today, a changed person, or wherever you're going after church. It's real, it changes, it happens in a moment in time. And it's there. So you've been ripped off by how many shepherds? And you, and you, be, you can be your own worst shepherd. Here's a shepherd that will never fail you. The only one that's worthy of being called a good shepherd. If you sit here today and you say, and I'm just about done. If you sit here today and you say, you know, he's not my shepherd, but things aren't going that bad for me. You wait. You wait. When you read the Bible and what the Bible says about how human history is going to end, when Jesus removes his church from this world and it literally turns into a hell on earth, I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how calloused you think you are, how seared your conscience is, how bad you think you are. Stuff is going to unfold that will make you lose control of your energy. You will wet your pants. Your body and your knees and your hips will shake without an ability to control that because terrible things are coming in, in this, this earth ultimately following the rapture of the church. Don't wait till then because you don't know if you're going to have then to make this your shepherd. Everyone, everything else, even yourself, leading, if you're leading or following them, they're leading you away from the life now and the eternity that Christ has for you and longs to bring you into today. Let's stand together and we'll pray.